Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Optusport Football Podcast. This week, Phil and I were joined by former Denmark goalkeeper Thomas Sorensen. We discussed Socceroos' emphatic victory over Bangladesh, ask why the injuries are beginning to mount up in Spain, and we also pick our Premier League team of the season so far. I'm Mark Schwarzer, and we'll be talking all that and more on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast, where Thomas Sorensen is joining Phil and I today. But Phil, we've got to start with this firstly. Talk us all about La Liga Mascot Olympics. And I heard it's like it was 15 minutes around from your house and there's another event that you didn't go to. <laughs> and you probably had a ticket to, of course, because you didn't, you didn't go. Uh, thanks for that. Yeah, uh, it was close to my house. I chose not to attend the uh, La Liga Mascot Olympics. It looked like a fantastic uh, family fun day out. Um, I didn't go, but I, I was following it online, which is what everyone does uh, these days uh, anyway. And I know you're dying to know who won. Right, yeah, go on. Obviously, yeah, give know. us. Yeah, Amunt, the Valencia bat, won oh, the uh, the Olympics. He was uh, he was very speedy. Uh, Dimoni, the uh, Real Mallorca demon, came second, and Atletico Madrid and Andorra were were tied for uh, for third spot. So it was a keenly contested mascot Olympics. Some truly uh, ridiculous events, including cucumber throwing. Who can throw the cucumber the furthest? Um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was Valencia who came out on top. So there we go. The big the uh, big event que- of the weekend. Two questions though: Who was your favourite mascot for you personally, and which event was your favourite? So I have a very soft spot for Leganes's Super Pepino. Pepino being cucumber uh, in Spanish. So it is a, a large cucumber uh, dressed up as a superhero with a mask and a cape. Uh, Leganes being a, a part of uh, uh, Spain where lots of cucumbers are grown. Uh, and uh, obviously the cucumber throwing was my, was my favorite event. So shout out to Super Pepino. He looked a bit tired yesterday. He wasn't at his best, but uh, you know, he gave it his all and uh, uh, he remains my, my personal favorite. Yeah, he's out of season, isn't he? <laughs> anyway, Thomas, Thomas, who's your favorite? Welcome, yeah. mate. Tom, welcome. Haven't seen you for a while, but uh, yeah, we're, whilst we're on mascots, who's your favorite ever mascot? Have you got one? Oh, <laughs> ever mascot? You know, there, there, there's been some funny ones. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think you know, you, you never come across them really. You see them sort of walking. Um, you know, I, I used to sort of, you know. At Old Trafford, the, the devil used to annoy me uh, running around. <laughs> you know, he was always down the end where we were warming up. Uh, you know, so uh, maybe uh, that, was had a a, had a, that was a tactic yeah, to annoy I, the, uh, <laughs> the opposition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and there was a mascot down in uh, Albania once that actually uh, started kicking our balls away while we were warming up. So he ran onto the pitch, <laughs> and our second string goalkeeper actually ended up tackling him so um <laughs> you know so, so they can't get too much involved sometimes 
I can I can concur with regarding the Red Devil. He was a pain in the backside, absolutely, and I think it was a tactic. Um, I thought you might have said Black Cat. I thought you would have said maybe the Black Cats. I thought yeah, I, yeah. I thought he was all right, you know. And I, my favourite, and it's only because it was my son's all time favourite, was Rory the Lion from Middlesbrough. Um, knew him personally as well. See, that's why there's a bit of a personal <laughs> attachment. Used to come to my son's birthday party quite a lot. I used to organize it because my son was infatuated with him. And actually the first time he ever came to his birthday party, my son absolutely crapped his pants. He didn't know what to do because you used to watch him from afar, right? And all of a sudden Rory the Lion is at his birthday party in his little like tiny preschool. And honestly, it was hilarious. Um, but he still loves Roy the Lion uh, right today. Swartz, when did you have to break the news to him that it wasn't a real lion? Like, when, when did that? Was it like Santa at some point? No, no, I think it was about last year. I mean, he's 23, 24 now. So, yeah, probably last year that he worked out that he wasn't real. <laughs> right, let's move on to football. That's what we're here for. I mean, I suppose it was. It was, it was all associated uh, with football, talking about the, uh, the mascots. International break. A lot, a lot of football. People think there's not much going on. Obviously, club football takes um, a backseat and it's all about international football. Let's get straight on to the Socceroos. They played against Bangladesh and it was a convincing win, which we kind of expected. Suta, Borello, Mitchell Duke gets two and Jamie McLaren gets a hat-trick. Um, I've always found that when you play against lesser opposition, it's, it, it's, you're on a hiding to nothing unless you put in a really good performance. Thomas, isn't that right? Like wherever you've been, if you know FIFA rankings, the expectation is you've got to brush this team aside and actually you've got to make it look convincing. You can't just beat them one to nil. You've got to, you've got to hammer them home, don't you? Yeah, and, and, and you know nine out of ten, that's, that's what's going to happen. But, but you also know that one time where something fluky happens. Uh, you know, we played Malta once and, and they scored out of nowhere and suddenly you're chasing and – their keeper pulls out miraculous saves and blocks and everything else. And, you know, and, and these are the things that, that worries you when you go into those games. So I think we've, we've all been there, but it was a professional performance, I thought, from, from the Socceroos, uh, as you said. I thought, you know, uh, again, uh, just trying to get into a new qualifying campaign. Uh, I thought Conor Metcalf, I think he, he's doing a you know, great job in, in Germany and, and played well in this one. Uh, Suta is not getting a lot of game time, but got a... Got a goal. So, so um, you know, as much as the result sort of, you know, uh, might not be as important, I think it's important uh, that uh, the players get together and, and, and people get game time as well. Um, Phil, when you, when you look at it, also Spain. Spain's obviously under a lot of pressure all the time to win every game. They, everyone expects Spain to win, right? And then when they're playing a lesser yeah. opposition, even like this group now, we talked about it earlier on about this qualifying group, how close it was with Scotland. And up until their last game against Scotland at home, Spain were on a bit of a shaky ground, weren't they? And the and the level of criticism is enormous. It is, it is. I mean, listen. What what I liked about Australia is that they went out and they won this. They won this game seven nil. Uh, they were four nil up at half time, and they still came out in the second half and they went for more. And they didn't do what Spain did. Spain played really lower ranked opposition as well in this international break. They played Cyprus. Um, and they were 3-0 up after 28 minutes. And they said, right, that's it. We're finished. They basically stopped playing. The game finished 3-1. But they, they didn't feel the need to go out and, and exert any more energy. Okay, you can say that maybe that's clever. That's um, uh, managing your exertions, managing your minutes. I understand that. But I like that Australia were hungry to go out and keep scoring goals. That's a good sign. And obviously, we've spoken before on, on previous podcasts during international breaks about, about Australia and their, their recent run of 
impressive results against against bigger teams. The two two draw against Mexico and losing narrowly to to England as well when they've been. They've done well against you know high ranked opposition, and we said then, okay, how much do these kind of games prepare them for what they have to come up in um, in World Cup qualifying and also in the Asian Cup as well when they are going to be expected to take the initiative? Well, well, we saw that against Bangladesh, who are ranked 184th in the world. They're the lowest ranked team that Australia have played in 20 odd years. So they're, they're not a great team, but Australia found a way to break them down. And who are they going to be playing in the in the Asian Cup? Well, the first games are India, Syria and Uzbekistan. Broadly speaking, opposition of a similar-ish kind of level to Bangladesh. So if you can if you can break down teams that are going to just resolutely desperately defend against you, you're doing well. And that's what Australia are going to have to do in their in their continental matches. So uh, it was a it was a really positive, um, really positive uh, game and result for Australia. Yeah, certainly that group, when you look at it, Syria and Uzbekistan are always quite challenging, certainly in Asia. Um, uh, India is the one, but they're a bit of an unknown. I, I played against India back in 2011. I think we beat them 4-0. Um, and they put on a decent fight. Um, so, and I, I think they've come a long way since then as well. So it's going to be a slightly different challenge. I think they're, they're certainly better teams than Bangladesh. And that's also why they're at the, uh, they'll be at the Asian cup. Um, we, we looked at, we saw also England playing against Malta, Malta, a similar sort of ranking as Bangladesh in their sort of high hundreds. The problem, the difference I suppose is Australia just started their campaign for qualification, right? So they need points on the board to make sure they get off on the right start. England have already qualified. And that's one of the hardest ones, isn't it, Thomas? When you're playing against a lesser opposition, you've already qualified and you've had to make, the managers made changes for various reasons, whether it's to do with injuries, but also because you've already qualified and you're giving players on the fringes an opportunity to play, which makes it difficult often because they haven't played together before. And then that's where the difficulty comes into it, right? Playing against those lesser opposition. Yeah, for sure, because there's there's no rhythm, um, and there's there's also a mentality issue. You know, we've been there. You know, you have qualified. Uh, you know, there'll be players in the team that you know that are in the squad that hasn't played much, so they'll play their chance. But but it, it'll be a mix of players, as as you say, and you know those games are are so so tough and and. We we also got to realize that the world football has changed. You know, you know, you look at the the Maltese team. You know, they'll have, you know, a couple of players in Germany. They they'll have it in in you know maybe Austria. You know, Czech Republic. They they'll have players in decent leagues. So so, so it's not the minnows of the past. And 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 if you're not on your game, <laughs> if you just take the foot a little bit off the the pedal, like the pedal, like like we saw with Spain as well. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's going to be difficult, um, and and that's why I think it's also important for Bangladesh to play Australia because, you know, they see what the standard is, and 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 they will raise their level. Um, Phil, I want to ask you: out of all the teams so far you've seen have qualified for the Euros, is there a team that stands out for you? I think there's two teams that stand out um, quite sort of head and shoulders above the rest for me, and that's France and Portugal. Now, some people might put England in that bracket of, of, of favourites as well. For me, France and Portugal in terms of squad depth, in terms of sheer talent are ahead. England are just maybe just fractionally below them. And then there's a, there's, there's, there's a group of sides, including uh, Spain, that, um, that will feel that they have a good chance. But in terms of sort of raw talent and you go through the squad and you think, hold on, this is, this is actually ridiculous. France and Portugal have a, have a level of squad depth and, and, and world-class players that I don't think anyone uh, in the tournament have. So in theory, for me, those two are, 
are pretty clear favourites above, above everyone else. England maybe just fractionally below them, I'd say. Uh, Thomas, where's Denmark? Where are they on the on on the on the rankings right now? Uh, you know, uh, you know, they've they've disappointed me a bit during this qualification. I think that this last game where they they had to win against Slovenia, they they probably played one of their their best games, but but they haven't been at all great since the World Cup, um, and that's a worrying thing because you know. Um, you know, we saw what, what obviously happened and that they probably played a little bit like Australia. They, you know, last Euros played above what what they probably will achieve normally. And and I think uh, we have to level our expectations a bit this time. I think, uh, you know, get through the group and then see what happens. I think that's that's going to be the, you know, that's going to be the, the plan. Do you think they're good enough to get out of the group? I mean, whoever it yeah, is. Yeah, you know, it depends. Like, we'll see 2nd of December. Like, you know, yeah. they... You know, we we know the Euros. Like, it, it, you you can end up with you know a group of death. You could end up with you know, <laughs> bloody, you know, with with uh, you know France, uh, Italy if they qualify. You know, you can end up with, with with great teams all around, and and there's no guarantees. So, yes, I'll be happy if they go through. I think it'd be great, but uh, there's no guarantees for Denmark because I don't think they play well enough up until this point. And and finally, on 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 this little chat, um, who is the most surprising for you? Uh, Phil, so far, who, out of the teams that qualified, who are the ones that probably, yeah, you didn't expect that? Um, I think, you know, uh, I don't know about surprising, but I think Turkey have qualified in pretty um, in, 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 in impressively comfortable uh, fashion. Um, there's the it's surprising because they, they haven't had a history, a recent history of qualifying for, for international tournaments, but um if you look at the uh, the size of the country and uh, how obsessed they are with football, they should actually be um, a, a European footballing powerhouse, uh, and, they, and they haven't been. So, uh, yeah, Turkey surprised me. N- nice to see countries like, for example, Albania uh, qualifying uh, as, as well for a, a second uh, major European championships. But th- there's always a team. I mean, Denmark, and I'm not just saying this because we've got Thomas on the, on, on the podcast, but Denmark <laughs> are, a, are a side that have overachieved massively. I mean, it's a small country. It's five and a half, six million people. It's not a country with a major population, but they have produced so many talented players that, yeah, what happens is that expectations grow, right? So now, Thomas, I'm, I'm assuming that people in Denmark you know, <laughs> kind of expect the team to be reaching you know, quarterfinals, latter stages of major competitions, when really, in theory, they probably shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think so. But, but uh, you know, we see what happens in, like, Norway. You know, they've got one of the best players on the planet. Uh, you know, Odegaard as well, you know, with Haaland and him. And, you know, they, they can't qualify. They can't even get close. And, and uh, Sweden now had a, you know, horrible campaign. Mm. So, you know, it, 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 it takes, a, you know, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of planning and, uh, you know, talent development and everything else to, for, for a small country. And, yeah, I don't think we can take anything for granted for sure. But uh, great to see, like you said, Albania, uh, Serbia as well. It was great to see Mitrovic. I think uh, you know shedding a few tears and and uh, you know this this morning as well. Uh, let's talk about obviously international football. The amount of games is obviously a big topic we talk about or people talk about constantly, and it, and it is a major major issue. And now we're we're seeing injuries pile up even more. Um, we look at Vinicius Junior out for Real Madrid. Big, big loss, isn't it, Phil? I mean, I know he hasn't necessarily been at his best, but he's starting to find, or he was starting to find form. Ah, oh, yeah, it's a huge blow for uh, for Real Madrid to lose uh, Vinicius Junior, not just because he is a, 
a player that can make a difference in uh, in games and uh, unlock defenses. And Real Madrid often have to come up against uh, uh, defenses that are uh, pretty pretty tight, pretty resolute. And having someone who can produce magic like Vinicius Junior is absolutely key. But also when you add his name to the quite ridiculous list of injuries that they have, so they haven't got. Courtois, they haven't got Militao, they've been out for the season. They now don't have uh, Camavinga, who also got injured in this international break. They don't have Chamini, they don't have Vinicius. Uh, Jude Bellingham had a shoulder problem. Arda Gula, the new uh, signing, also hasn't been able to uh, to play because of injury. Danny Ceballos has got a, a problem as well. It has been a very, very long list of injuries for Real Madrid. And when you add Vinicius Jr. to that list, it can get uh, it can get problematic. Um Obviously, you've been, you know, you mentioned about the number of injuries that we're seeing and international breaks and, and Gavi, Barcelona midfielder. Gavi got injured for, for Spain last night. He, we think at the time of recording, we don't have it confirmed, but we think it's a crucial ligament problem in his knee, which means that he's going to miss the rest of the season, which is another uh, huge blow for Barcelona and Spain because he'd been such a, such an important player for both of those teams. And it's sort of led to a bit of, criticism of the Spain national coach, Luis de la Fuente, for playing him. Why did you play Gavi? He's already played so many minutes for Spain. He's played so many minutes for Barcelona. Spain had already qualified. Why did you play Gavi? Which I think is misguided and unfair. Firstly, Spain still had something to play in this game. Uh, They had top spot to play for in the group, as you mentioned. Um, It wasn't a completely meaningless game. Yes, they'd qualified, but obviously the manager is going to put out the best team possible to achieve his objectives. And secondly, you want, you know, national team managers don't have the players week in, week out. So when you get a group of players, you want to play the best players so they can understand how each other works, get the uh, um, the notion of the of how the team is set up. Obviously, you want to play your best players. So I do not understand this uh, this pretty harsh criticism of Luis de la Fuente for playing his, uh, his, his best team. Another debate you can have is if there's too much football, if there's too much football, full stop, then okay. But don't start criticising the manager. And Barcelona, the club, criticising... If they start criticising the, 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 the National Federation, they can look at themselves because what are they doing on the 21st of December? The final La Liga game of the year is on the 20th of December. They're at home to Almeria. 24 hours later, they're going to Dallas to play a friendly against Club America uh, of, of Mexico, which does not exactly screen player welfare, does it? So it needs, if we're going to look after footballers, it needs everyone to look after footballers, not just the national team, not just the, not just the, um, the clubs. But that's always a debate, right? The, the, the clubs will always argue with national teams, but also in Spain, it's probably, I, I know there is a massive support for the national team, but when it comes to Barcelona, hmm. Real Madrid and their players... There is a, it's, it's, it's really Barcelona, the press, their players injured, vice versa, Real Madrid, the same, right? I mean, they are the big boys. Spain is actually quite a, maybe a, a unique country in that it isn't a country of nas- the national team. Like the national team doesn't really bring everybody together. There's, there's the Real Madrid camp, there's the Barcelona camp, and they have their own interests. And whether they cross into the national team interests, fine. But people are very much, I support Real Madrid. And then, okay, Spain, maybe, depending on who's managing and who's playing. Or I support Barcelona. And then maybe Spain, depending on who's the manager and who's playing. So it's, it's not a country of, of, of national team obsession like many, many other countries. Yeah, and I would say my take on this, you know, it's for the club to rotate and, you know, they got, they got the squad, uh, you know, they got the most amount of games. I think for the national team, you know, as you, as you said, they've got a few games. This was an important one to finish top of the group. You know, you 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 know, you can't fault the, the manager 
Fuentes for for for, for playing in it. And and you know, I've, you know, it'll be up to. And they're only what three months, four months into the season. You know, it's it's not like a, a March game friendly where there's nothing at stake. So you know, I, I I don't buy. You know, if there is a criticism, I don't buy it. But Thomas, I, I know it's like what you know it's like playing for your national team, right? And you know you still got something to play for. You want to play in a qualifying tournament? You want to play every game, right? You, yeah. you don't want to go. Imagine it comes. Look, I need to rest you. You played a lot of games. I'll be like, no, 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 no. no. I want to play, and it's so important to finish top of your group because you got a different seating. Yeah, for sure. And, and so I'm. I'm it, for me, it's, it, it all lies with the club. You know, they they see them week in and week out. You know, it's it's for them to judge you know, how many games and, and the load on, on players. You know, we, we've all been in a club environment and, and there's so many scientists and, you know, who measure, you know, what you do in training, how much you run in games and they have all graphs and everything else. So they know the fitness and, and, and they know the, the risk if they push it too far. And, uh, you know, I think for the national team manager, it's not their, it's not their issue. So what, 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 what's, the, what's the solution here? What is the solution? Because if people are saying we need to look after players, um, Maurizio Sarri, the manager of Lazio, former manager of, of, uh, of Chelsea, said the other month, we're sending players to the slaughterhouse. Um, what, what, what's the solution? Are we, are we going to make fewer matches for international uh, teams? Are we going to make fewer games for clubs? Because that's not happening because the Champions League is being expanded. The Club World Cup is being expanded. The World Cup is being expanded. We've already seen the Euro has been expanded as well. So everybody knows more matches mean more money. The clubs want more money. Uh, fans want their clubs to buy better players, so they need more money to do that. So it's just a, a vicious circle where people complain, but then actually... What do we do here? How do we change this? Why not enlarge the squads? So why not go from 25 or so? I think it's 25 in the Premier League you're allowed to, to register. Why, why, and Europe as well. Why not go 35? Why not? And, and so you're going to have more players, more, you know, if you're going to continue to play more games, and that's the trend, right? Because everybody wants more games, more money. Clubs want more. National teams need more. World Cups, Euros, 32 teams in the Euros, going to, what is it, 48 teams at a World Cup. There are more games. So I think you have to enlarge the squads. I mean, we, World Cup, they went to 26. I, I still don't think it's enough. I think you can go more. But then will the managers really rotate that much? They'll just try and play their best players all the time. I mean, if you could, I don't know. It, I, I, yeah, I mean, it makes sense in theory, but then in practice, how much of that squad would actually be used when big games are coming up and managers will say, I need this player, you need to play. Um, and it's what you said as well. You know, players want to play. There was the example of Pedri couple of years ago he burst into the Barcelona youth team as a this sensational teenager basically played every game for Barcelona played every game at the Euros for Spain went to the Olympics and played every game he ended up playing nearly 80 matches in a season in his first proper season and then he got injured and missed most of the rest of the season so um if it's down to the players to say I can't do this but then it's very difficult for players to say that it's it's it, it, it's a difficult one and I don't have an answer and we can make the squads bigger sure that could that could help reduce some of the some of the injuries coming but um it seems more intrinsic this problem but you're right like you're right in saying that they won't necessarily play it because they always want to play their best team right the theory is you have obviously more players but you have better players that enables you to go right if i change one or the other it doesn't really matter as much but i know what you're saying managers will have preferences and will stick with them and we see it now we see it now with five substitutions the... you know yeah but there's also the financial issue yeah, you know, I don't. I don't Definitely. think uh, Barcelona can afford uh, 
35 players in their squad. You know, I think they've got enough issues as it is. Well, currently uh, as it is right know, now, so, that's so, not <laughs> possible. Yeah, that, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, I, I sadly think that it's, it's just a, a little bit of a collateral damage of, of, of the way football is going. I, I don't think there's, it, it, it's too big a, you know, a juggernaut to, to, to stop it. Um, uh, you know, and because people want to see the best players every week. Uh, and that, and that that's going to be the issue, you know. They they don't want to, you know. They don't, they have, the fans haven't signed up for lesser players, um, and and that's the problem you have all the time. More games, yeah. and and people want to see the best players. Yeah, some way along the line, they've got to. We're, you're right. I mean, who who knows? I mean, that was just something off the top of my head about extra squ- players in the squad, and it is certainly even more difficult then to manage because it's difficult to manage with 25 players in a squad, let alone say you go 35 players. <laughs> So it's going to be a challenge. Obviously, that there's no there's no quick, simple solution to all this. But this is also a solution which, uh, well, an issue which affects the biggest clubs, right? Because I can tell you that Sporting Gijon are not complaining about the international break because you know players, they the biggest clubs have the most money. They buy the best players, and the best players go on international duty. So again, as as Thomas said, it's kind of a collateral damage. It's kind of par for the course. You want the best players in the world, you pay big money for them, but those best players go and play for their international teams, and this is this could happen. You know, this this is part of 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 the um of 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 the risk you take. It's worth mentioning that Gavi that injury. It's, it's a knee injury. It was, it, was, it was with a clash. It's not, it's not a muscular thing. It's not something that he's picked up from playing too much. Same with Kamavinga, who got injured. He got injured in training because Usman Dembele fell on him. These are things that can, that can happen, uh, you know, if you're trading, if you're, if you're at home, you know, th- things can happen. You can get injured. But it is true that the more games you play, the more you are, the, the, the chances are higher of you getting injured. That is true. But it's not all down to uh, muscle fatigue because of too many matches. Uh, another one, just quickly, is that um, talking about mu- uh, injuries and muscle injuries reminded me of Andre Anana. He's someone that apparently has picked up an injury during uh, their recent win, 3 0, I think it was, um, and uh, for Cameroon, and he's on his way back to Manchester United. Thomas, is that a big loss? You know, I think it, it, it is. Uh, you know, that's their future. You know, yes, we can discuss uh, how great he's been. It's been very up and down, but. Or not. You know, if they if they if they want to build something and they've spent a lot of money, he has to play. And you know, um, you know, if somebody else comes in and does reasonably well, then you know, you end up with an Arsenal problem uh, that hasn't been pretty. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, I, I would like to see Anana. I think he's exciting, uh, not always clean, but uh, you know, he, he certainly uh, makes us. Uh, you know, there's certainly highlights. I'm going to digress quickly because you just you just you just uh, flash light light bulb went in my head there. Um, talk about Arsenal, <laughs> David Raya and Aaron Ramsdale. Aaron Ramsdale's dad getting involved. Has your dad ever got involved uh, publicly? Like my dad? No, 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 no. Uh, I would have told them to to stay away. <laughs> uh, they're very conservative people, so uh, I've been quite fortunate, but. Uh, uh, it's never nice, you know. When you see wives getting, you know, and dads and family getting involved, it always ends ugly, um, you know. So it's, but I think I think Ateta, I think a lot of us foresaw it, um, and I think you know he should have been smarter from the start. I don't think he handled it well, the things he said. Um, so I think he opened that can of worms uh, and and has to now deal with it. Yeah, because we talked about it. We talked about it the other day on the podcast, and we were talking about. I, I mentioned. I said. 
I would hope that Arteta had said something to Aaron Ramsdale, but it doesn't look like he has. And obviously his father's mm. come out and said he didn't know anything about it and, and he hasn't spoken to him about it. And that's really poor management. That, that is, I'm actually surprised with, with Arteta because I would have thought that he would have pulled him aside. And they're the conversations as players um, you, want, you want to have with a manager. You want, as much as you don't like it, I would rather the manager be completely honest with me Tell me for whatever reason, right, I've decided, for example, in this instance, David Raya, Raya is a better goalkeeper or is the goalkeeper I want as my number one. You don't even have to say he's a better goalkeeper. I want him as my number one because I think he's better with his feet. We can play out better. He suits my style more. So he's number one until such time as he doesn't perform or whatever. But he's going to get a guaranteed run of games. I'd rather that. I'd be annoyed. I'd be up, I'd be devastated. I'd be, I'd be so pissed. However... As it goes on, at least I can th- I can say, well, that's his opinion, and at least he was up front with me, but he's not been up front right now, right? Yeah, for sure, and and I think as players, that's all you want. You know, you want clear lines, um, and and also it gives you a mission. Then, like you got things to work on. You know, you, you obviously want to compete on. On, on on certain parameters that the manager thinks the other is better than you, and and. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, not knowing, I think in all the aspects of life, I think it's the worst situation you can be in. David Raya, who played for Spain in this uh, international break, and he started the game against uh, Cyprus. He didn't have too much to do, but he did concede a goal to the mighty Costas Pileas, <laughs> who scored with 15 minutes to go. Very well taken goal. David Raya probably couldn't have done too much about it. But yeah, he'll be annoyed because he should have had a clean sheet there against Cyprus. And as I mentioned earlier, the team kind of went to sleep in the uh, in, in the second half and uh, and allowed Cyprus to score a rare goal against Spain. So why did David Raya play ahead of Unai Simon? I mean, it's a big game, right? Um, yeah, I think uh, he felt that you know against Cyprus. With all due respect to my uh, the land of my uh, of my father, it is a, a very 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 modest team and one which allows you to make uh, some kind of. Uh, some kind of changes. So David Raya came in, um, he rested Rodri, uh, Martin Zubimendi started, Alex Grimaldo had a debut at a left-back. It was a game that he'd obviously thought, right here, I'm going to experiment a little bit. Alvaro Morata didn't start um, and give some of the squad players a chance. And David Raya is number two at the moment in the pecking order in Spain. And, uh, and that's why he started. So you can understand why the fans are upset about Gavi playing, <laughs> having made all those other changes, right? Uh, which you kind of understand, right? But he's probably looking at the manager going, he's a young kid, he can handle it, he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah Gavi played 90 minutes and he played the whole game against uh, against Cyprus. So, uh, yeah, listen, I'm, I understand why in theory certain people might uh, on the surface take it and say he could have rested him. Sure, he could have. He could have rested him. But equally, you know, he, he's really entitled to play him. And, and most importantly, just to wrap this little bit up, all of that's been talked about. We talked about all these injuries to these players, Vinicius Jr. and Gavi for Barcelona and Vinicius obviously for Real Madrid. That opens a door for Girona. Surely it's Girona's t- title to win now, Phil. <laughs> they, I mean, they're going this, to... This is just literally, it's like the parting of the seas. But listen, it's like what I said. So, you know, smaller, quote unquote, smaller teams like Girona, who do not have as many players going off on international breaks, they're not complaining too much about what they call in Spain the FIFA virus when players get injured when they go away because they don't have that many players going out. Like I'll give you an example. Aleix Garcia got called up for Girona and he made his debut in that game against Cyprus. 
He's the first ever Girona player to get called up to the Spain national team. So he made history there. But Girona, you know, historically are not a side that have had a lot of players going off on international duty. They're two points clear of Real Madrid at the top of the table. And everybody's been doing their homework now. Every Regular listeners know, always watch Girona. Um, they're playing Athletic Club at home uh, next week. So uh, make sure you, uh, you tune in for that. Well, let's move on to the WSL. The Women's Super League was in action again this weekend, so let's get all the latest from Narell and Amy Chapman. Thanks, Schwartzy. Yes, well, plenty of Aussies making a mark in the WSL. Chappie, Kyra Cooney-Cross stood out for Arsenal in just her second start and winning the Player of the Match award. Yeah, a couple of big games, obviously, on the weekend, but some even bigger performances, and I think Kyra Cooney-Cross is the one we've got to talk about straight up. She got her second start. First player of the match performance and she was everywhere. And to slot into a star-studded Arsenal team like that is quite phenomenal. I think there was a lot of question marks over, is this the right move for someone like Kara Cooney-Cross? So much talent but still so young. Will she get the minutes? Well, she's proving she can, she's capable and in big games. It was a great performance for her. Caitlin Ford keeping her spot in the team. She's got two goals in two games now. And if you haven't seen it, you should go and watch it because it was another great finish. She's oozing confidence, isn't she? A massive first touch and a wonderful finish from outside the box. Low and hard drive. She's such an essential part of that Arsenal attack. And another one to mention is Beth Mead. First time back, first time back starting after her ACL. So talk about talent and star-studded lineup. The fact that Kyra Cooney crosses slotting in and getting player of the match performances. And we see a bit of rotation, of course, with Steph Catley. She only got 25 minutes on the weekend. Katie McCabe, obviously out there. And they've got a lot of games, so it is about that rotation. But uh, it's also a really competitive squad. It is. Uh, it was also an historic weekend, I guess, in the WSL because it was the first ever women's Manchester derby to be played at Old Trafford. And Alana Kennedy won the player of the match award as City defeated them at home. I'll admit it, I really didn't think they could get the job done, just the way they've been going lately. But to see them bounce back in style, I think, is a turning point for them. Yeah, they've been under a ton of pressure. We talk about talented depth squads. That's certainly one of them. Man City is oozing talent, but under quite a bit of pressure leading into such a big match. First big proper derby at Old Trafford and Manchester is blue and Alana Kennedy was the player of the match. She really uh, coaches that back line as well. So a big statement from her. No Mary Fowler in that game, or I think she saw perhaps one minute. Um, so, yeah, a big statement from her. But how hilarious was the post-match uh, interview with Alana Kennedy? We saw she was so nonchalant about heading down the road to Old Trafford. It was, it was quite comical to listen to. But I suppose that's a good way to look at it, right? Like, you don't want to psych yourself out for a big match like that. No, and I think that's a bit of an Aussie way, isn't it? It's an Aussie way of approaching these games. It's just another game. It's just another three points up for grabs. And she played like that. She's certainly finding some form. For Manchester City now, their manager Gareth Taylor said before that match that they had to remain unbeaten for the rest of the season to stand a chance at taking out the title. Can you see them remaining unbeaten from this point onwards? Oh, I think that's a huge task, especially when they're trying to manage the, the amount of load that they've gotten these players as well. But I think that's a massive task, but it's, it's, it's worked. It's one game at a time, and that certainly was a big one, and, and they got all three points. Yeah, well, there were 43,500 fans at Old Trafford, and Schwartzy, we heard you were one of them. The atmosphere must have been incredible. Yes, I was one of those people in the stadium, but unfortunately, I don't think I actually counted to that total. So there should have been 43,500 and whatever extra one because um, I was obviously working there. So I don't think I count because I don't pay for a ticket. I don't even remember the last time I paid for a ticket. 
for myself, that is. I don't want to brag. Shock. Um, and and you shock. normally, normally I go to those games, don't I? Um, I mean, I'm not mentioning any names of people who have tickets to big, big games and for whatever reason, a bit cold, a bit uh, under the weather, don't want to go. I'm, I'm just saying. Um, all right, all but yeah, right, it was a great right, atmosphere. Right. It was really good. Uh, it was fantastic to see. And there's something about Old Trafford when in, in like late afternoon when the rain's coming down the pitch is so zippy and you're there and you're playing a big, big game with a lot, a lot of fans in it. There's something special about Old Trafford. It really is. And the name, at the time when I was playing, I don't know about you, Thomas, I, the Theatre of Dreams, I was like, nah, it's a bit corny. I don't really like, you know, what is that, you know? But the more I've played there and the longer it's gone on and the more I've gone to watch games, I, 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 I really get it now. I didn't, I mean, I don't know, call me stupid, but I, I didn't really get it before. Whereas now, the more I've thought about it, I actually get it. The Theatre of Dreams is a truly magical place to play football. That's my experience. What about yours? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I think, you know, in our early days, uh, you know, it was also the, you know, the, the great Manchester United side, um, you know, with, with obviously Beckham and Skulls and Giggs and, 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 and also, and then on to Ronaldo, who came a bit later. And, and I think you sense that when you got there, Alex Ferguson, there was this aura, you know, I think we, we got done a couple of times in Fergie time where, you, you know, you just knew it was right to the death. You, know, you were fighting and you, you thought you had hope, but, you know, I don't think I've, uh, you know, I've had many great results at, at Old Trafford. Uh, it was always a tough place to go. And, and, and uh, but I, I think I sensed that history, though. I, I think uh, you, you could sort of, there was something about it that, that you didn't get at, at other grounds, uh, oh, at some other grounds. You, you know what it did for me? When you're at Old Trafford, you know, you walk in from the corner and you kind of go down into that little gully bit on the edge of the, the, the pitch. And then you walk up onto the pitch and that's, that's your theater, right? And that's what it is. Yeah, kind of like yeah. you, as you walk on that pitch and you walk across and obviously you're walking across the, from the corner of the, it, that's the thing that makes it spend the puck on I mean, the crowds are insane. And then the other bit is when you're in the game and say you've had a, a, you know, a cut period of time of dominance didn't happen very often, but you'd have a bit of time of possession and maybe you, you took the lead because that happened with us with Middlesbrough quite a few times. We actually had a pretty decent result uh, or sc uh, scores at Old Trafford. Then all of a sudden, United, the crowd that obviously went quiet when you scored, but the minute you kind of was kicking off again, or they were kicking off, it roared into action. And it's something different and very few grounds I'd ever experienced that. And then once they started to attack, that roar got louder if it's even possible. It sounds like what you're describing when you're walking up onto the pitch is that you're walking up onto a stage. <laughs> if yeah. we to continue the, the yeah. theater metaphor, so you're walking up there like now I'm here, this is the stage, I have to perform. Um, yeah, sounds pretty special. It's funny because uh, Optus Sports spoke to Alana Kennedy after the game about playing at Old Trafford, which she, I, don't think she, I don't think she's ever played there before in such a big game like that with so many people. And she, her response was, it's just a stadium down the road. 
<laughs> Obviously, she's playing for the the rivals, the blue side, and that's the correct else. answer. So that's the correct played, answer. She's played up to it. Yes, yes. And she, she smashed has. it, man. Like she was player of the match. So absolutely, yeah. She was very good. Yeah, she did very well. That, yeah. I mean, she was. To be fair, I mean, she played like she had a cigar in her mouth. That's how how cool and calm <laughs> she was uh, at the back there. Uh, her and Alex Greenwood, they controlled the game. Um, Man United were way off it in that regard. Other than the first twenty five minutes, when United were pretty decent, um, but yeah wasn't great Premier League let's talk about Premier League Everton points deduction did anyone see that one coming like we knew that they were in trouble but Phil did you see a points deduction of that severe nature happening Oh, that magnitude, no, because it's the, it's the most severe points deduction ever in, uh, in Premier League history. So I don't think anyone expected it to be uh, 10 points. But I, I think the general feeling was that they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be in trouble because they've broken the rules. And they've broken the rules by quite a big margin. Now, whether other people have broken the rules and they haven't faced any justice yet at the moment because of uh, legal wranglings by very, very expensive lawyers. That That is what is making people, I think, raise quite a lot of eyebrows uh, at this. The fact that Manchester City and, and, and Chelsea have also got similar problems but haven't had anything uh, charged against them yet in terms of a points deduction. Um, but like I said, they've, bro- they've broken the rules. There had to be some kind of punishment. I'm not sure people thought 10 points was, was going to happen, but it has happened. And we'll get onto this in just a second, but I'm just throwing it out there. Even with that 10-point deduction, I think they're going to stay up. Thomas? Yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> I think they're going to stay up. But like, when you look at the teams around Sheffield United, Luton, you know, Burnley, you know, I don't think, you know, they, it's, a, it's a year where, where they're not good enough. Uh, and I think what we've seen of Everton of late, uh, you know, I think over the last, you know, couple of months, they've been one of the better teams in the league, uh, you know, uh, at least point, points-wise. And, you know, Sean Dice has got them playing in a certain way. And, and uh, I think this is going to galvanize them even more. I think, you know, I was uh, at a time when I was at Stoke and everyone was against us and it galvanized us. And, and they'll feel the same. You know, the fans will be up for it. They've got Man United. What do you mean a time uh, you know, again, at Stoke? No, what do you mean a time at Stoke? Everybody hated Stoke <laughs> all the time. Okay. All right, but, but we felt it, and, and, and it galvanized us, Swartzy. So, uh, and and we, no, we did pretty well. So, um, you know, I'm sure it's going to happen uh, at Everton as well, and, and I don't fear for them uh, in that respect. Uh, you know, it, I think it's just on a broader scale, yeah, it, it, it just opens a, a can of worms because it, it's a broad, like it's, a, it's a two, what do you say, a two-sided sword. Uh, you know, you obviously want these owners with a lot of money involved. And, and that's what the Premier League have thrived on. You know, it's, it's been the Wild West to some extent. You know, people have come from all over the world to get a pie, a piece of the pie. And, you know, the, the, you sort of sense that, you know, the, the, the law enforcement has been blinded a little bit because people have been making money and, and uh, you know, the Premier League has grown. Uh, you know, it, what, what's the ins and outs? So that we, we'll see what obviously happens. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting because the Premier League have now set a, pre- a precedent now on, on what uh, will happen to clubs that don't abide by the rules. Yeah, and it will be interesting moving forward. I mean, I, I agree. I think Everton will survive. I think it's between Bour- Bournemouth, Luton, Sheffield United and Burnley. Out of those teams, I kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't have said this at the start of the season, but having watched Luton play at home to Liverpool and knowing what, how difficult it was to play in a tiny, tiny ground like um, like theirs, I would say that they've p- 
possibly got the best chance out of those teams to get out of it. Um, and I think uh, Everton will be fine. Um, interestingly, Everton will have obviously put in an appeal. So we'll see whether those 10 points stay at 10 points or whether it does get reduced. More often than not, it does get reduced by something, um, by how much we'll see. And then that that's it, right? It'll be, a, it, I, I think the, the, the question mark is that City's, the accusations against City have come out ages ago and that's still ongoing maybe it's a lot more complicated because of your wafer and, and all that sort of stuff but the premier league obviously and there's so many charges potentially against them that's going to be and i think that's where the, the spotlight is on them even more and obviously what chelsea have done uh, there is also another aspect to this story which could get really really messy slash intriguing from afar and it's that teams could sue Everton, after this this points deduction, um, suggestions that Leeds, Leicester and Burnley could sue them for up to £300 million because they broke the rules and, and they obviously uh, went down and, and suffered because they were breaking the rules. That could make things really, really, really messy as well when, when other teams come in and start and start saying, you broke the rules, I was directly affected, I want compensation. That's another aspect to all this. And the other knock-on from that is, if those teams were to be successful, that would possibly most likely send Everton into administration and therefore they would actually lose more points. Uh, so it's like, yeah, it is completely a snowball effect. And yeah, gosh, I don't even know where you start with that one. Um, <laughs> I, I actually had it once in my career. When I first signed for Middlesbrough, they'd actually already had their three points deducted. So... Uh, back in 96, 97 season. And the reason being, they got points deducted, three points, because they didn't turn up to a game. They said that there was a virus going through the club and therefore weren't able to play the game, fulfill that fixture. So the league were pretty, the, the league were very harsh because what the league did was they gave, they took three points off Middlesbrough and they also gave Blackburn at the time three points plus three goals. So it, it was a six-point swing for Middlesbrough. So had Middlesbrough gone and played the game, and played with, what, nine players, for example, and lost the game 25-0, they still would have been in a better position. Actually, come the end of the season, we would have stayed up because we went down on one point. So it was crazy. It was, it was a catastrophe at the time. And I think Middlesbrough felt that they would be given kind of special dispensation for the illness that went through the club. Um, and it backfired massively. Thomas, have you ever had it at a club where you've had points deducted uh, for for any reason? No, I've I've only tried it once uh, with a national to have points team. Deducted? Where... You've only tried once to have points deducted. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, no, we we um, yes, yeah, when we played Sweden and a, a guy ran on and, and we ended up losing the game despite drawing. So, uh, but not at a club level. You know, they, 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 you know, there's been financial trouble. When I was at Sunderland. Uh, you know the club was was already going going down the drain, and and a lot of players left, and and you knew it wasn't going to be pretty from there. But it it obviously never went to administration and 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 points deduction. But uh, you know it's never great to be in a situation like that. I'm sure the players will be affected at Everton as well. You know it, it's it's always you know bad when things are that like that nature is lingering because. You know ultimately if it affects your livelihood as well. You know with what happens with the club. How are how you guys, when you lost points or end up losing the game um, with that national team game because the fan run on, what, what's your feeling about it? How, how, what's the initial reaction as players? You know, you obviously, you, 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 first of all, you got it for, for, for the actual game. Um, but then there's also the bigger picture. 
you know, uh, that, that sort of then falls on you, um, you know, the, the reputation and, uh, and, and these are the same things that, that Everton has to, 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 to deal with as well. You know, Mushiri, it looks like he's obviously going to try to like, sell the club, um, you know, it would be great to get him out and start fresh. I think that's what Everton needs with the new stadium as well. Um, you know, so so there's positive things around the corner if they get if they can get things right. And and also with Denmark, we f- we found a way forward. We didn't qualify, but but I think there was some some healing that went on and uh, a lot of things that changed after that game that uh, made it more safe um, around uh, around national team games. Yeah, I remember at Middlesbrough that a lot of players were actually frustrated. Because they, I remember the feeling, distinct feeling when I turned up. Because I obviously was asking questions. I wasn't there at the time. And I said, well, explain to me what happened. And a lot of the players told me <laughs> they were as surprised as everyone else that the game was called off. That mm. they didn't believe that it was as bad or didn't feel it was as bad. So that that's a problem then. Uh, talking, Thomas, talking about um, positive things coming from, from these things. Um, and I, I just want to just highlight... I don't. It's not my job to constantly big up La Liga, but in La Liga, there are very stringent financial fair play rules um, to the detriment of certain La Liga clubs, in theory, because fans are saying, "Why are they, we don't have enough money? We've got to sell players." There's this player exodus to uh, to the to the Premier League, but La Liga is making sure that clubs are. Um, spending within their limits. They're setting limits and you are not allowed to go over those limits. So I don't know if something similar like that in the Premier League is is, is the way forward. But here in Spain, it's certainly helped clubs spend within their limits and, and not have financial problems, which was very, very common here a few years ago. Yeah, was that also... I think that's a knock-on effect. My understanding with Spain and certainly the reputation from the outside was that outside the top three or four clubs the vast majority of the other clubs weren't clubs that paid their players regularly because of that financial uh, dealings. They didn't really manage their funds well enough. So that was more yeah. necessity from the league, right? To make sure that they better, better reputation cleaned up the league. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the vast majority of teams didn't pay their players, but it was something that, you know, regularly could happen uh, in Spain. You know, we're talking about maybe a decade ago, maybe 10, yes, 15 right. years ago. It was, some, yep. it was something that could regularly happen here. Uh, and now it doesn't. Um, we've seen massive clubs in Spain be so badly financial mis- mismanaged that they've dropped down the leagues. I'm talking like Deportivo La Coruña. You will have heard of them, obviously. They're now playing in the third division. Malaga, the same, now playing in the third division. There has been uh, financial mismanagement there. But in terms of in terms of the league making sure that clubs can't, um, can't be not paying their players, for example, the league's been very, very clear about that. So if clubs do go down, like that it's 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 not the league's fault it's because they've been managed so 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 badly so yeah i don't know if we're going to see something like that in the premier league my instinct says no uh but it's it's not such a it's not such a bad idea even though on paper uh fans might whinge because it restricts their club's ability to buy players which is basically what every fan wants is a shiny new signings um, well, we're not we're not at uh, the halfway mark yet. I mean, we're just half, uh, over a quarter of the way through. Um, so let's talk about a team of the season so far. And this is going to be interesting. I've been told we have to do it as a 4-3-3, which kind of limited me a little bit because I was going to put an extra player in midfield and, and have only three defenders in my team. But anyway, um, let's start. Um, Phil, I, I, I got a feeling I know who you're going to put in goal. You start, Phil. <laughs> 
No, I didn't want to be too obvious. I didn't want to be too obvious. Basically, I was going to put half of my team was going to be Spurs, maybe more, but um, I don't. I don't want to be too <laughs> obvious. Listen, I'm, I'm here. Um, it often it feels that uh, I feel a bit awkward talking about football with two uh, ex-pros and certainly talking about goalkeeping with two uh, legendary ex-goalkeepers. I feel I'm a bit out of my depth. So I'm just going to very quietly say, Alison Becker is my goalkeeper at the moment. And you can tell me why I'm right or wrong. Oh, Thomas, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, I don't think you're, you're, you're far off. Uh, I think for me, it was between Becker and Vicario. I think... Uh, you know, you look at the the stats as well. You know, first you you look at like the eye test, and I think they both passed it. Um, and and then the stats back it up as well. So you can pick either. I think they both deserve to to be in there. You know, I, I picked Vicario because you know it's always difficult to to come into a new new league. We've seen how you know other goalkeepers have struggled. Um, Alison Becker is just consistent. So you know, just for a little bit of new spice, I've picked uh, Vicario. Ah, oh, you know what? I mean, I'm gonna. I've eaten my words already, and I'm gonna eat them again. I did, wasn't sure about Vicario, but I'd put him in my team so far as well. So Phil, we're gonna go with Vicario, <laughs> and I know you'll be I'm delighted. Delighted, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very I happy know, to be I in. know. I had so many Spurs players in my team that I had to take some out. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, so we, I, I, we're, we're we're sure we're gonna go with Vicario. Let's start off with our backline. Um, <clears throat> Thomas, you start. Whoever you want to start with. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take my right back, uh, Trippier. Um, I think, uh, again, this year he's, he started off with six assists. I think he's, you know, he's a leader in that team as well. Um, consistent every week in and week out. Um, they could be Trent Alexander, it could be others. Uh, but no, for, for me, he's, he's my right back. Phil, you agree? I agree. You're, you're yeah, I've, I've got him. I've got him as well. You know, um, uh, could have put Pedro Porro there, but no, we'll go, we'll go Kieran Trippier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I, I, on my list, I've only got three defenders, so I didn't have Trippier on it. So for the fourth one, yeah, I'm going with Trippier as well because, yeah, okay. he's been brilliant. He's a top-class player, so I'm more than happy to go with that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick my one now for uh, another defender. I'm going to say, and Phil, you'd be probably happy to hear again, another Spurs player, Mickey van der Ven. He's in mine. Um, yes. Yeah, he's in mine. Okay, so, well, we're unanimous. Yeah. There you go. That's absolutely brilliant because I think he's been absolutely brilliant. Um, and a big, big loss for for Spurs. And by the sounds of things, he's out for, for a considerable time, which is a real, real shame because he's just been absolutely awesome so far. Uh, easy done, that one. That was that was pretty easy. Phil, you go on the next one now. Um, there's, uh, there's an Argentine lad uh, who, I, who I could have put there alongside Mickey van der Ven for, for Spurs, but yeah. no, nah, we're not going to make this all Spurs. Um, I, put, I put Virgil van Dijk. Um, I think he's, uh, he's, he's started in, in commanding fashion. Um, Liverpool have uh, got a really good defensive record. I think he's, he's a big part of that. So I think if, you, if you're looking as a pairing, Van Dijk and, and Van der Veen, I, I, I like the sounds of that. Um, Thomas, what have you gone with? Because, I mean, I haven't got Virgil in my team, but what do you reckon? No, I haven't as well. Uh, I've got Ruben Diaz. Um, have you? You know, it's... Yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, big, big, big fan of his. Uh, yeah, I've got actually two Man City players. Uh, so who's your other two, one? So. Guardiol. Just because have you got I'm, Guardiol? Uh, I'm a fan I see, of him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So but again, I, I, you know, if... You, Odogi, I think has done great. Like, we couldn't uh, put another Tottenham player in there. And I even think uh, Anthony Robinson from Fulham, I think he's been great as well. Um, you know, a little bit under the radar, but, um, but he, he could get in there. But yeah, Diaz, Diaz and Guardiola. 
Okay, because I've got I've got uh, a kanji from City because I I rate a kanji. I think yeah. he's been I think yeah. he's been absolutely brilliant for City. Um, and and since he's actually arrived at City, I think he's been absolutely brilliant. So we're really split here, aren't we? So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, Phil. Who did you say again? I, I had Virgil oh, Van Dijk. Like, I'm yeah. happy to I'm happy to go with um, I'm happy to go with a kanji. Um, I, 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 I like that. I like that suggestion. I also had Destiny Adoji at, at left back. So. Um, uh, I don't know if we can we can maybe do a deal. Maybe Idoji goes in because <laughs> Thomas mentioned him. Uh, I don't know who you had at left back. But. Yeah, I, I yeah again. I haven't I haven't got anyone there. So I I mean I've got William Saliba in my side as a back. I had the back three. Yeah. So but yeah. So he, I think he's been really good as well. So we're talking uh, Guardiol, um, Saliba, or Ruben Diaz. Poor, it's not a bad. Is it nice? Is it good a headache <laughs> I mean, to have. The, the sub bench is looking all right anyway. For whoever those are ending up on the sub, two of those on the bench is going to be all right, isn't it? Um, Much as it pains me, Saliba's is actually a really good shout, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I, I could, I could yeah. get behind Saliba as well. Yeah. Are you happy with that, Thomas? All right. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. He's, all he's right. Well. Let's move into midfield. Uh, I, well, this is oh, a really who's left back? Who's left back? We need four, right? Four, four. One, two, three, four. Trippier, Mickey van der Ven, Akanji, and Saliba. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So, gotcha. I mean, you know, they can sort each other out. I mean, they're all like, you know, they'll, they'll be fine. All right, yeah. <laughs> not, not oh, we've got four. Okay. We didn't have to necessarily yeah. go left back per se. We've got okay. four defenders. That's all we need. Four, three, three. So, we need three right. midfielders. Um, I'm going to say it straight away Dominic yeah. Slobosly from Liverpool. I knew you were going to say that. You you picked him preseason. Okay. You were exciting to see him preseason, and obviously he's been he's been he's been great. So he's not in my three, but he was um, sort of just just below the level. What? I was between. What? I was between. You haven't, I haven't, you got, haven't him, no. got him in your team. No, no, no. Because I kind of no. knew that you would, so I decided to go for someone else as well. But um, yeah, um, I've also got him on the bench. So yeah, you got him on the bench. Okay, who have you got, Phil? Yeah, I'll just tell you my three. I've got yeah. Rodri. I've got Rodri. Ward yes. Prowse and Madison. Okay. And uh, Thomas? Yeah, I got Rodri, Madison, yep. and uh, Declan Rice. Whoa, so we're, we're all agreeing that Rodri's in our midfield. Um, yeah. No doubt oh, about that whatsoever. Yeah. See, I, yeah, I've got, I've got Douglas Louise from Villa. Five goals yeah, in 12 games. Well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously Slobosly. And so, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting combo and you could you could pick any number of, of players i think slobosly goes in because you've got him and he's both on our sort of reserve list so i think i think we i think we should stick him in in terms of sort of de- democracy if you've got him 100 percent and he's sort of 50 50 for both me and thomas then that that, that right. should probably oh, so we 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 get madison and Correct. then he, okay he gets yeah because you got madison okay. in there yeah yeah, yeah no problems yeah, How do, um, okay. madison's play what is he played yeah i mean his, his stats are not necessarily he's got look, three I, goals and five assists uh, come oh, on, got... come on. Yeah, okay. come he's got on. three right. goals and five assists. Really? All right, all right, all right, you're right. <laughs> ter- terrible you anti Spurs bias here. <laughs> no, no well, it can't be. Vicario, Mickey van no, der Ven, Trippier, very... ex Spurs player. Is there any more ex players in there? <laughs> There's a very pro Spurs team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, there there, right, there front... could be one in the front line as well. Who knows? Well, yeah, well, front three. <laughs> What have yeah, you gone? What have you gone for, Thomas? I mean, you said there could be one in the front. Uh, so, you know, Sa- Salah, Haaland, and uh, Son. Okay. With a with a mention of uh, Ollie Watkins, Doku, Bowen. 
good, good. See, I've they, got two out of bench. those three. I've got Salah and Son up front as well. What have you got, Phil? Salah. You haven't got Haaland? No. Okay. Whoa. Well, that's, that's weird. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Salah, Haaland, and then I was between Jared Bowen and, and Mbamo. Uh, I've got I don't Jared know why Bowen. I haven't got Salah. For some reason, I think Salah's had a... Sorry, uh, uh, Haaland hasn't been great, but he has. Hasn't 13 he? goals. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, why, why didn't I do that? Oh, that's easy then, isn't it? <laughs> I think I think I think Haaland is in there, mate. I think there's a bit of an I, I, I don't know what happened there. I don't know what yeah. happened there. Yeah. You just forgot about him. He's easy to forget about, you know, the the, the I, Look, I had a late night cyborg. last night. I yeah. rushed this morning. You know, I'm going to make tell. all the I'm going to make all the excuses in the world for that one. Salah it was always in my team. He's in my fantasy football team. Why wouldn't I have him in my team of the season so far? So we've got Salah and Haaland and who's the third spot then? Cuz I've said Jared Bowen, uh, you've said Son and who We both said? said Son, didn't we? We both said Son. All right, so Son. Oh no, another Spurs player in. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, oh. I knew I knew you wouldn't be happy phil so yeah, that's pretty decent we, one thing we probably haven't i don't know if you guys have i certainly haven't got him down there or anything but manager so far right who's been manager of the season uh, for the, who's been manager of the on, month for the three on. months <laughs> uh, i think it's angelo big Ange on there Get him big Ange is on there of course he is <laughs> yeah and that really slight you know fits into what i'm going to say next tomorrow i'm actually at uh Tottenham's training ground. I'm interviewing Big Ange. First time since he's been at Spurs. I get a chance to sit down with him. And of course, Mille Jednak afterwards as well. So that's going to be really, really cool. Phil, you're the big diehard fan. You, I've heard you've never interviewed Ange before. What would you want to ask him? I just want you to tell him that I love him. If, if you could just make that abundantly right. clear. Can that's you tell him that? That's going to be a, be a bit, a awkward, bit awkward, I think. Yes. <laughs> What's awkward? There's, I, I know this. I know this guy. He's Greek. He's from North London. He loves you. I do a podcast well, with him. Well, let me let me just write that down. Uh, <laughs> Phil Kitro Melides. I mean, just to let you know. And she's he's he's from his dad's from Cyprus. I mean, that might cause some issues. Um, he said to say he loves you. My my mum's from Greece, so it's fine. I've got the Greek passport. Um, so he's confused because his mum's from Greece, <laughs> from from Greece, and his dad's from yeah. Cyprus. Um, I, I, yeah. Listen, I mean, what what would we ask? And is is it's a, it's a good question because there's so many things that we'd, we'd like him to ask. Just how is he? How is he finding the the Premier League? Like, how is it different to anywhere else? He's coached because he is so experienced and he's been all around the world and he's had so many different experiences in different leagues. The Premier League is sold as this elite level of of coaching. So, how is how is the experience of finally being in the Premier League um, been for these first three months? Obviously, in terms of results, it's gone well. But on like in a sort of an emotional, personal level, have there been anything that surprised him? Uh, anything that's sort of different to what he imagined? Something like that. And Thomas, have you got anything you would like to to know from Ange? Um, I just want, what what's the Greek food scene in London? You know, has he, uh, you know, is, is the souvlaki is it any good or? It's pretty good, know, mate. Well, pretty good. Pretty good. He's in the right spot. <laughs> North London is the right okay. spot for Greek I, food. I, yeah, I yeah. I don't know if I've I've only got ten minutes with him, but I don't know if I'd ask him that question about the Greek food. Maybe <laughs> be after off camera, and I'll ask him. But yeah, no, yeah. Well, we'll leave it at that. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Should be really good. Ange is always great value to talk to, and obviously. They've been flying and he's been doing a fantastic job, even though the last two results haven't been the best. But look, that's how it is. We knew there were going to be some hiccups along the way. That's all we've got time for. Thanks, Phil and Thomas. You'll be able to listen to that Ange and Millet interview on the Optusport football podcast feed later this week. See you next time.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.